Morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good. It's good to see everybody. Thanks for joining us in person. Thanks to those who are joining us online. We're so glad that um, you're joining in. If you have ever traveled, you know how difficult it is to prepare for a trip. Preparing for a trip requires some intentionality. It requires some preparation. It requires some planning. Now, I realize in saying that, there's some of you in the audience that if you're taking a trip today, you haven't packed, you'll go home, you'll throw it all in the suitcase and call it good. The majority of normal people, (laughs) just so you know, I'm the previous person. I'm the person that's going to go home, oh, we're leaving today, let me go pack my suitcase. So preparing for a trip requires some preparation. What do you pack? What do you not pack? What do you take? What don't you take? Uh, Maybe you've made a list before. Here's all the stuff I need to do before I go on a trip. That keeps you focused. That keeps you on point. It helps you prepare for a trip. So we've been in 1 Thessalonians. We're going to wrap up 1 Thessalonians today. We'll look at 2 Thessalonians next week. And we've been preparing for a trip We've been preparing for the second coming. Two letters to the church at Thessalonica. And Paul is preparing us for the second coming. He's writing to encourage us. He's writing to inform us. He's writing to help us prepare. And so in 1 Thessalonians 5 today, he's going to tell us what we need to do, how we need to prepare while we wait. It's been thousands of years. People have come and gone. People have died. In chapter 4, he wrote to them because their question was, what happens to the people who've already died? Are they going to miss out on the second coming? So he's, he's going to talk about how we need to prepare and what we need to do while we wait. So let me give you about six things. Number one, while we wait, there's no reason to be uninformed. He says, you know. In fact, he says, you know very well you know very well that the Lord is going to come. You're fully aware. By now, we're in chapter 5, you are fully aware. God's not keeping this knowledge from anyone. Anyone who has a Bible can know, should know, but not everyone lives in knowledge of the second coming. Even though they have the Bible, even though Christ's followers have the Bible, they don't live like they're in the know. So he says, many in the world live in ignorance. Now, that's not a derogatory word. We looked at that in chapter 4. He says, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. It's not a derogatory word. We don't want you to be misinformed, uninformed. We don't want you to be in the dark. We don't want you to have any doubt whatsoever. So, Paul says, we want you to know. And there's no reason you shouldn't know. And yet, there are people who don't know about the second coming of Jesus. They choose not to know. They choose to reject Jesus. They choose to reject the salvation that God offers, which is why Paul writes in Romans 1, although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. Another translation, they knew all the time that there is a God, but they don't live like there is a God. There are many people in the world, there are even Christ followers, who choose to live in ignorance of the second coming. So Paul says, we don't need to write you because you know very well. I mean, there's no reason to write you. We've spent five chapters on this. If you've been here, we've already spent five chapters on this. You know very well. Jesus is coming back. That's a fact. That's a promise. The Bible tells us that. 
Jesus tells us that. The day of the Lord will come. So if you've never heard this truth, if you haven't been here the last several weeks, here's what you need to know. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back, and there's no reason to be uninformed. Number two, there's no reason to be surprised. There's no reason to be surprised. There's a difference between expectancy and surprise. He's already told the Thessalonians Jesus is coming. At the end of every chapter, all five chapters, he mentions Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. He spends the last six verses of chapter 4 talking about Jesus is coming again. There's no reason to be surprised. They knew. The church in Thessalonica knew. And we should know. And we should be expecting. As Christians, we should expect the return of Christ. You might not look forward to it. There's no reason to be surprised. There's no reason to be surprised. Here's what he says. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So for the people who are not informed, for the people who are not Christ followers, it's going to be a surprise, but not as Christ followers. Let me ask you this. How many of you all have ever been robbed? You go home and you've been robbed. Did the thief send you a letter in advance saying, I'm coming to your house to rob you? Did the thief call before he came? Did the thief ring the doorbell and say, just want you to know, I'm fixing to rob you? In fact, if you've ever come home to find your house robbed, I doubt you ever say, you know, I saw that coming all the time. I knew that was going to happen. No, because it's a surprise, like a thief in the night. So he writes, while people are saying peace and safety... Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Paul says it's going to be a surprise to people who are not Christ followers. It's going to be a surprise because we look for peace and safety in all kinds of areas. We look for peace and safety in people. We look for peace and safety in our jobs. We look for peace and safety in our possessions. We look for peace and safety anywhere we can find it. And because the unbeliever, the unbeliever lives uninformed, it's going to be a surprise. But he, he uses another illustration. He says, as labor pains on a pregnant woman. As labor pains on a pregnant woman. Paul reminds us that even though a woman is pregnant, the day of delivery is a surprise. Now imagine in that day and age. In that day and age when they didn't have modern medicine, when they didn't have medicine to delay, to help with, it was a surprise. You didn't say, hey, let's hold off another week. Let's put it off two weeks. Let's do it a week early. It was a surprise, just like the day of the Lord. It's going to be a surprise. But Paul wants us to know it's possible to live expectantly even though we don't know the day. So as Christ followers, we know the day is coming. We live expecting for that day to come. And we won't be surprised. Listen, church, we don't need to know the specifics of that day to live expectantly. We don't need to know the day or the hour or the order of events. We don't need to circle a day on our calendar, although many people try. Through the years, many people have tried. Many people have tried to predict the return of Christ. They've tried to predict the end of the world. They've tried to predict the day of the Lord, and they have all failed. Here's what Jesus said. No one knows. No one knows. About that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. 
So when you try to predict the return of Christ, when you try to predict the end of the world, when you try to predict the day of the Lord, you're assuming a knowledge that even the Son of God doesn't have. That's not our place. We don't need to worry about the order of events. Date setters are usually upsetters. That was true in the first century. It's still true in this day, which is why he says, I don't need to write you about times and dates. That's not what's important. I don't need to write you about times and dates. Knowing when is not the issue. Living expectantly is the issue. Because when that day arrives, we should not be surprised. Number three, he's going to talk about two kinds of people. Number three, there's no reason to be in the dark. There's no reason to be in the dark about the second coming. So he talks about two kinds of people. Those who live in darkness, those who live in the light. But you brothers are not in darkness. So so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You're all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to darkness. So Paul says, while we wait, while we wait, there's no reason to be in the dark. There's no reason to live in the dark. Number four, he says, there's no reason to be asleep. Again, two kinds of people. He says there's those who are awake and those who are alert as opposed to those who are drunk and those who are asleep. Sorry, he talks about light. John talks about light. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love and hope. People who are awake live with their eyes open. People who are awake are looking for the return of Christ. People who are awake are expecting the return of Christ. But those who are asleep live as if they were asleep, and they're going to miss the return. Look at what he says. Let's not sleepwalk through life. Another translation. Let us keep wide awake, alert, watchful, cautious, and on our guard. So, let's say it another way. Because Jesus is coming back, we need to wake up. Our outlook determines our outcome. And when your outlook is uplook, then your outcome is secure. Paul says, people who are not Christ followers are asleep. They're living like they were asleep. They're like drunken men. They're enjoying that false security. And Paul wants to remind us we need to wake up and be alert. And we need to clean up and be self-controlled. And we need to dress up and put on faith and hope and love. Here's what we read in Romans 13. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently. He goes on, number five. There's no reason to fear the wrath of God. As Christ followers, there's no reason to fear the wrath of God. Here's what he writes. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that, whether we're awake or asleep, We may live together with Him. 
So he says several things in this passage. He talks about the second coming, the day of the Lord. It's going to be sudden and it's going to be unexpected. And there's going to be destruction and you will not escape. And the wrath of God will be evident. When we read about the wrath of God, when we read about the day of the Lord in the Old Testament, it's always about judgment. But for the unbeliever, when the Lord comes, it will be destruction. And there will be the wrath of God, but not for Christ's followers. Not for us as Christ's followers. As Christians, we don't need to fear the return of Christ. As Christians, we don't need to fear the day of the Lord. As Christians, we don't need to fear the wrath of God. As Christians, we don't need to fear judgment. Listen, we don't hear much preaching on the wrath of God. The world doesn't want to hear that. Most Christians don't want to hear that. But listen, here's what he said. Did you, did you hear what Paul wrote? God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. Not sure if you're getting that. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. And yet, many times, many Christians, the reason we fear death is because we fear the wrath of God. That's what we're afraid of. We're afraid God is going to send us somewhere, and God's going to bring His judgment. And so we live in fear, but God didn't appoint us to suffer wrath. God didn't appoint us to suffer wrath. God appointed us to receive salvation. That's why God called us, and that's why God appointed us. Paul writes in Romans, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we don't need to fear the wrath of God. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we don't need to fear the wrath of God. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So thinking about the second coming, thinking about Jesus coming back, thinking about the day of the Lord, thinking about when you die, thinking about when you meet God, there's no reason to fear that. Paul writes. So he says, while we wait, while we wait, When you read about the second coming of Jesus in the New Testament, it is almost always followed by some kind of life change. Since Christ is coming again, you should live holy and godly lives. Since Christ is coming again, you should be prepared. Since Christ is coming again, wake up from your slumber. What we believe should be evident in our life. What we believe about the second coming should show a life change for us. So this is how he closes out the... Fifth chapter, he said, there's no reason that we should live unprepared lives. He says, we ask you, brothers, while we wait, before Jesus comes back, to respect those who work hard among you, live in peace with each other, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, always try to be kind to each other, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. This is all in one chapter. What are we supposed to do while we wait? What are we supposed to do? What's our packing list? What's important? What should we be focused on? He continues, For this is God's will. What's God's will? This is God's will. What's God's will? This is God's will. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what do we do while we wait? He says in verse 11, Encourage one another. And build one another up, just as in fact you are doing. That's what we should be doing as we prepare. There's going to be a journey someday. It's going to be a trip someday. We're on a journey. We're on a faith journey, and we're going to join Jesus someday. And what do we do while we wait? Well, we're not going to be uninformed, and we're not going to be surprised, and we're not going to be in the dark, and we're not going to be asleep, and we're not going to live in fear, and we're not going to be unprepared. 
Why? Because as Christ followers, he writes 1 Thessalonians to encourage us and to build us up and to remind us, listen, there's more to this world. The mess of this world should make us look forward to the second coming of Jesus. The chaos of this world should make us look forward to the second coming of Jesus. And those who have already died, he talks about that in chapter 4. Those who have died in the Lord, we're going to meet them in the air. So we should look forward to. We're going to be in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 next week. But we need to live prepared. The first step in preparing for the second coming is giving your life to Jesus. The first step in your journey is giving your life to Jesus. And we believe you need to submit to Jesus. We, need to, we believe you need to go into this liquid grave and be baptized into Jesus. And that's part of your journey. That's a step on your journey as we prepare for Jesus. Listen, it's going to be a great day when Jesus comes. It's going to be a great day. We have so much to look forward to in heaven. So much that we don't know, we can't comprehend. But we're going to sing about it right now. Let's stand and sing this next song.